what's the first thing that you do when you get up in the morning? I'm talking about the very first thing. The moment you open your eyes, the moment that you decide it's time to get up, what do you do? For most of us, whatever it is that you do, it's the same thing every morning because we're creatures of habit, aren't we? Uh, We get caught in a routine and we do the same thing every morning. So what is it that you do when you first get up? Do you hit the snooze button? Some of us, the first thing we do is hit the snooze button. You get an extra seven, uh, nine minutes of sleep, which I have never understood. Why do they put the snooze at odd numbers? Why is it seven or nine? Why is it not 15 or 20, right? But some of you, the first things you do is you hit the snooze button. Some of you, before you do anything else, you get up and you go straight to get coffee, right? You've got to go get your morning coffee before you do anything. Some of you, if you're like me, we've got to take the dogs out. The first thing we do before we do anything else is get up and the dogs are running to the door, so you go take the dogs out. Some of you, you've got to go brush your teeth. It's the first thing. It's habit. Uh, some of you run and uh, go and, and jump in the shower first thing to wake you up. Some people, some weird people, they make up the bed the first thing when they when they get up. They, I don't know if any of you are those kind of people, but you get up and before you do anything else, you're making the bed and put the pillows right. I, I don't understand that, but some people do and it becomes a habit. It becomes part of what you do. Some people even start getting ready the night before for what they're going to do in the morning. That's part of your routine. You set the coffee maker or you put your little curing cup in and your cup so it's ready to go in the morning or you get the clothes that you're going to wear. You plan out your day and you lay them all out and have them sitting out uh, wherever that they may be. So it's all part of your routine. But no matter what your routine is, no matter what your ritual is, there's one part of every one of our rituals that is exactly the same. And it's one that sometimes it is difficult to face. It's staring at yourself in the mirror in the morning. Amen? I mean, you look at yourself, and if we had to be honest, looking at ourselves first thing in the morning, for most of us, I won't speak for all of us, but for most of us, that can be a pretty scary sight. Your eyes are kind of puffy or swollen or you got some crust on there maybe. Uh, your hair is, you know, wherever you slept, you got bed head and maybe over here it's standing straight up and it's moving around. You got lines on your face from sleeping crazy on the sheets, right? Uh, I have a CPAP machine for my snoring and so I got this big hose. I wake up with hose marks across my face and they last about an hour. How do you explain that when you come to work and you got a hose mark going across your face? For most of us, facing the mirror in the morning is not a pleasant experience. Mirrors have a tendency to be honest. Mirrors have a tendency to tell us the truth, maybe even the truth that we don't want to see. Mirrors don't lie. They don't compromise. Mirrors don't tell us, unlike Disney movies, what we want to hear. They tell us the truth. They see everything. The mirror shows us every wrinkle. The mirror shows us every gray hair. The mirror shows us every blemish that we have. And worse, if you have a good mirror and you have great lighting, you can see even more than you ever wanted to see about what's wrong with all of your complexion and face. So why do we do it? Why do we have mirrors in our bathrooms? Why do we find ourselves every morning subjecting ourselves to this part of the morning ritual? Well, the simple reason is because we understand that as unpleasant as it is to confront our faces in the morning, if we don't look at ourselves and make some minor adjustments, for some of us major adjustments, then when we walk out of the house, people around us are going to get a good look at that morning face. 
And so we make adjustments. We don't want that to be what the world sees. I can remember a girl that uh, I went to college with in one of my grad's classes and in, in seminars. It was a small class, and she was late to class one morning, and she showed up with no makeup on and her hair in a ponytail, and she was wearing warm-ups. And I promise you, she walked in, about eight of us in class, she walked in and sat down, and nobody knew who it was. I mean, this was the 80s. She had big, huge hairspray hair and always dry. And she walked in and sat down. And we looked there like, wrong classroom. <laughs> you see, what happens is what we decide, most of us at least, is that it's better to face the mirror and the truth and make changes so that we are somewhat presentable to the rest of the world. Well, in our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul is going to suggest that the same thing is true for our spiritual lives. That if we're ever going to be who God's called us to be, if we're ever going to be what God is calling us to become as Christians, and we've learned about that in the last couple of weeks, living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto God, not conforming to the things of this world, transformed by the renewing of our mind, following God's good, perfect, and pleasant will. If we're ever going to achieve that, it has to start with us having a clear perspective, a clear vision of who we are. And an even clearer vision of what might need to be changed if we're ever going to become more like Jesus. It takes an honest look in the mirror. And so if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. We are walking through or drilling down into Romans chapter 12 and uh, this series that we are calling Living Sacrifices. I believe this is a uh, very important chapter in most of the New Testament books to help all of us clearly understand what it means to be a Christian. And if you've been with us, you know that Romans chapters 1 through 11 uh, contain some of the most doctrinally, theologically rich passages in all of the Bible. Many people, scholars agree that Romans 1 through 11 is, is so doctrinally deep that it takes a long time for people to really grasp a hold of the incredible truths that are in there. And then in chapter 12, Paul takes a turn. What he does is he begins to change to application. He does this in almost every one of his letters. He'll bring doctrine or belief and then move into application because Paul believes that behavior will always follow belief. If you want to know what someone really believes, watch their behavior. If you want to know what they understand, what they hold true, if you watch their behavior, it will be lived out. And so Paul believes that once you grasp the truths of chapter 1 through 11, then you will begin to live those truths out. And he explains how we're supposed to live those out. If you wanted to to outline chapter 12, it's very similar to uh, Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. Chapter 12 deals with the Christian and their relationships to everyone around them. Now, verses 1 through 2 that we've been studying for the last four weeks deal with our relationship to God. How are those truths relational to us and our relationship to God? If you've missed it, I want to encourage you to go listen to our podcast because it's so rich and how it affects our worship and how it affects our purpose and how it affects our plan. And later on, when we get to verse 4 through 13, he deals with how the Christian interacts in the church. Talks about our spiritual gifts. Talks about how you and I are to interact with one to another. And then verses 14 to 21 deal with how we are to live going out into the world, to a hostile world sometimes. How we're to live the truths of chapter 1 through 11 out there. 
But before we get to chapter, verse 4 and the church and, and verse 14 and out there, we've got to find verse 3. And in verse 3, he sets a foundation that is vital to what happens when we interact one with another and we interact with the world around us. You see, how we view ourselves affects how we treat, how we act, how we are around, living in in and out with people in our families, with people in our workplaces, with our teammates, with our our co-workers, with our uh, friends, with our neighbors. See, you may not realize it, but the way you see yourself, what you see when you look in the mirror determines how you act everywhere else. And he's going to lay out how foundational that is because for most of us, what we see in the mirror is not what God sees in the mirror. And until we come to the point that we begin to see what God sees, we'll never grow as a Christian. For by grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. That word could be sound judgment. Think of yourself with sound judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given to you. Now, verse 3 fits perfectly in context to verse 2. What did he tell us in verse 2? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so what he's telling us is when we study God's Word, when we put God's Word into our mind, it begins to change us. The word there, metamorphosis, transform, change. Your thinking changes. Your mindset changes. Your point of view changes. You see, the Word of God, when you allow this to become a part of you, everything you think begins to change. You see, your beliefs are no longer based on what's popular or what everybody else says or what everybody else thinks. It's now based on the absolute truth of the Word of God. But what he's telling us, the first way that that transformation is supposed to take place is in the way we view ourselves. It changes everything else. That mindset of who we are will always affect the way we see to others, the way we treat others, the way that we interact with others. Have you ever been to one of those fun houses that have all the crazy mirrors? You ever been to one of those places where you go and you look at mirrors and they distort who you are? You look at one and you're tall and skinny and you look at the other and you're short and fat and some of them elongate the face and the head. Can you imagine what would happen if you used one of those mirrors to get ready? I mean, just think about that. Think if you had to depend on one of those mirrors to get ready for church this morning. How would we look? I mean, some of us probably look like we did look in a funhouse mirror when we got ready. But imagine if all of us did. Imagine how distorted that would be. It's crazy to imagine, yet Christians all the time allow themselves to think or buy into a distorted view of who they really are. And so Paul addresses two wrong ways of thinking that I want us to look at this morning. Two wrong perspectives that are affecting not only the church, but affecting each one of us. And the first one, he comes right out and identifies it. The wrong perspective, the wrong mindset is when we think more highly of ourselves than we should. When we think more highly of ourselves than we should. Now, of the two that I'm going to mention, this is the most prominent. It's the most normal because it is more natural for us to think this way. All of us have an innate desire within us to think of ourselves better than we actually are. Now, I don't know if it's our culture, if it's because of our parents. I don't know if it's because of the way we live. Most of the time, it's because of pride. See, pride is always the root of giving us a distorted view. 
And when we look at ourselves and we think about ourselves, it's natural for us to think better of ourselves than we really are. And we also have a desire for others to look at us and see us better than we actually are. And it's hard to root that out because, you see, pride is at its root. And whether or not you realize it, pride comes and it leads to selfishness and jealousy and arrogance and envy and racism and greed. And pride, like I talked about a moment ago, will always destroy your relationship to God. And us thinking better about ourselves than God wants us to is always rooted in pride. So why do we do it? What is it that we encounter that causes us to think better about ourselves than we should? Well, it's all kind of things. It can be where you come from. It can be your family background. I'm from Texas. Texans, I'll admit, we all think and know we're better than everybody else. Okay? That can distort our view of not only who we are, but how we treat other people. It can be your education. Some of you think because of the school you went to or how many degrees you have or whatever the initials are behind the end of your last name that you are better than other people and it distorts who you really are. We allow our families. Maybe you came from a special family and your family's name means something and that distorts our view of ourselves, our positions, our finances, how much money we make, the power we have. The control that we have over other people. All of those things distort our viewpoint. We depend on our looks. We depend on our abilities. We depend on our talents. We even depend on the color of our skin to determine and and distort how we see ourselves. And in distorting how we see ourselves, it distorts how we see others. Now please hear me. None of those things are evil unto themselves. It's not bad to be proud of where you're from. It's not bad to be happy about uh, where you went to school or proud that you spent that many years working to get the degree or the job title that you have or the things that you have. Those things are not evil in of themselves, but if we're not careful, they can distort how we view ourselves and they feed into pride. It even happens in church. I know people who allow what church they go to to become an issue of pride to them. Oh, I go to so-and-so church, and, you know, we're more spiritual, and we worship better than anybody else. It used to be denominations. Those aren't as big anymore, but it was not. I mean, you couldn't get Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, and Episcopalians together without a fight because they're all going to argue about who's better and who's right. Even our spiritual gifts and the things that we do for God, somehow we will allow those things to distort uh, who we are in Christ. We think because we give so much or because I volunteered so much or because I'm on the platform and you're not, that somehow I'm better. And you see what happens is we allow those things to define us. And once we allow those things to define us, it begins to distort who we really are. And many people have found their definition of self, their self-worth, and their self-image in some of those things. Power, job, marriage, family, education, church. You see, when that happens, what it leads to is arrogance and smugness. Because when those things begin to distort our view of ourselves, it also distorts how we look at everybody else that doesn't have those things. It creates prejudice, let's be honest. See, all prejudice means is prejudging somebody. And all of us in this room struggle with it. And we usually prejudge people according to what they look like, 
what they have, what they don't have, where they're from. See, all the things that help us get a good self-image, all those things that help build up our self-worth, we are prejudiced to those who don't have that. And that's not God's desire for our heart. And it distorts who we are. And Paul says that we will never live the life that Christ has called us to. The church will never see power as long as we allow those things to define us, as long as we allow those things to be a part of our self-worth. You see, in his very first statement here in verse 3, what does he say? By the grace given to me. Why is that so important? Because even before he warns us about having a distorted self-image, he reminds us that all of those things that you put your self-worth in, that education, where you're from, family, money, career, all of those things, they were given to you by God through grace. Everything that you have is given to you by God. Who are you to be proud of yourself because of those things that were given unmeritedly? You see, when you begin to recognize that everything you have, everything that you are, everything that you ever hope to be is a result of God's grace, it transforms your thinking. Because you see, my self-worth is no longer in those things. My self-image is no longer tied into those things. Now it's tied into the understanding that God has given me and blessed me with more than I ever deserve. And if that's the case, then that begins to transform the way we see others. If everything that I have is a gift of God, then everything someone else has is a gift of God. And who am I to question what God has decided to gift somebody else that's different than what he gifted me? And who am I to judge or look down or prejudge somebody else because God has gifted them differently? See, if we're all children of God, if we're all created in God's image, if we are all blessed by God, we've got to have a correct self-image. See, what happens in the Christian life is it's like looking at those little mirrors that girls used to carry around in purses. Some of you probably still have them. You know what I'm talking about, the little bitty mirrors. But the problem with those little mirrors is they only show part. You don't get the whole view, do you? See, you can look and see, well, my eye makeup looks okay, or, you know, my face or my nose is fine, or, you know, my, but you can't see all of you. See, you can look in that little mirror and think, man, I'm, I look good, everything's fine, and your zipper be unzipped, and you never know. That's what we do as Christians. We pick one area and we look at it and go, man, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. And God's saying, it's distorted. Go get the full-length mirror if you really want to see what's going on. It's like trying to get ready in a dark bathroom. You ever try to get ready or try to do something in a low-lighted room? I mean, everybody looks good in low light, right? I mean, we all, I would choose that. The older I get, the more I realize, the lower, I've changed all our bathroom bulbs to 40 watt because I look great in 40 watt. <laughs> but what happens is when you get ready in a bathroom with low light, then you go into another bathroom that's got 300 watt bulbs. All of a sudden you go, what in the world? Last week when I was getting ready for church, I got up and started to shave and my light in the bathroom went out. And I thought, I, I'm either going to have to go get a ladder or something and climb up here and change this light. And, you know, I'm a man. I'm not going to do that right now. And so I, I opened the window. And I thought, that's plenty of light. I can see myself to shave. I had shaving cream on. So I shaved. And, you know, I thought, man, that's pretty good. I look pretty good, you know. And I got everything. And, and I got ready. And I went and started getting dressed. And I walked into our other bathroom. I flipped on the light. Look, I had patches of hair all over the place. 
I couldn't see it. You see, that's the way we live our spiritual lives. We get a view of who See what Paul calls living sacrifice. He told us to be living sacrifices. John, in his letters, calls it walking in the light. Because, see, my goal as a Christian is to become more like Christ in everything that I do. That's why I'm a living sacrifice. Everything I do is to be holy and pleasing unto God. I am walking in the light. And you know what happens? Jesus is the light. And the closer I get to the light, all of those things that I thought were okay back here in the darkness are no longer okay. All of a sudden, you see, back here, when I only had so much light, I thought I'm pretty good. But it was a distorted view. It wasn't really who I was in Christ or who Christ wanted me to be. And the closer I get to the light, all of a sudden the light reveals that I wasn't looking correctly. We grow in Christ as we begin to shine light on who we are and who we really think we are. God begins to reveal to you that you need to get a proper perspective. Morning, the problem you're having in your Christian walk is you think more of yourself than you should. And it's not only distorting who you are, it's distorting how you treat those around you. Transformed mind will always keep you from thinking more about yourself than God wants you to. The more you allow God's Word to transform your thinking, it pushes pride out of the way. And humility begins to be a part of you. Now there's a second way. See, not only is it wrong to think too good of yourself, it's also wrong to think too less of yourself. It's also wrong to to have a bad perspective of thinking less of yourself than what God thinks of you. Now, don't get me wrong, there is a false humility that's not really humility, it's pride. And a lot of people like to play the false humility. You know what I'm talking about? It's where we, you know, oh, I'm not good at anything, and I can't sing, and I'm not smart enough, and we do those things. Why? So somebody around us will come and go, oh, no, you're beautiful, right? You've got a beautiful voice. I love it when you sing. And and so we just keep doing it. I can't do that. I can't do anything. Oh, yes, you can. That's pride. That's not humility. And there's also a false spiritual humility. It's where people get wrapped up into this idea of defining themselves by who they used to be, B.C., before they became a Christian. There's a lot of Christians that are beating themselves up and get a wrong view of themselves because they define themselves by the things they used to do and the things they used to say and the things that they used to have before they became a Christian. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No. The Bible says you are a child of God. The Bible says you are a saint. Remember when we studied that in Ephesians? I may just stand up and say, I'm a saint. And people had a hard time. We say, I can't say I'm a saint. My wife's sitting here. She knows I'm not a saint. I'm not talking about what your wife thinks. I'm talking about what God thinks about you. He calls you a saint. He calls you a child of God. Does that mean I don't sin? Yes, I still sin. But that sin no longer defines me. Who I was before Christ no longer defines me. That doesn't make myself worth. I am a new creation standing in the fact that I am a child of God. And for you to think any less of yourself is wrong. But there also is a low self-esteem. It's a lie from the devil. You see, we allow our mindset to to think that all of those things that I listed earlier that we take pride in, that if we don't have those things, 
then somehow we're not good or we're not smart or we're not fast. And we allow the devil to whisper those lies into our ears and into our heart. And then we try to help our self-esteem or help our self-worth by doing what? Getting those things. I'm just a lowly hourly worker. I'll never amount to anything. But if I can ever get this job, if I can ever get that job, then everything's going to be better and I'm going to be happy and I'll redefine my way of thinking. The problem with that is, is that those things don't define happiness or success or who you are in Christ. And what happens is when you begin to chase those things, you just go in a circle. Because once you get that thing, thinking it's going to lift your self-esteem, it's something else that you got to have. And then something else that you got to have. Now listen, I'm not telling you not to try to make yourself better. I'm not telling you to try to, to, to better yourself. People say, well, are you, you know, I'm, I'm overweight and that's beating me up. The devil tells me because I'm overweight, I, I you know, can't do anything. If I could just lose 10 pounds or I just lose 20 pounds, then, then I'll be happy. I'm not telling you not to try to lose 20 pounds. I'm telling you, if you lose 10 or 20 pounds, it's not going to make you happy. Because that's not how we're supposed to define ourselves. You see, how I define myself is not by how smart I am, how talented I am, how big I am, how little I am, how much I have in my bank account. What I define myself is by Jesus Christ that he loved me, that he saved me, that he set me free. Because when that becomes who I define myself worth, when that becomes my perspective, everything changes. You know why? Because that can never be taken away from me. And so my mind begins to change. You see, the only way to lift up your self-esteem is to begin to find your identity in Christ. Listen to me. This morning, if, if you are, are beating yourself up because you think you're not good enough, if you are beating yourself up because some teacher or some coach or some parent a long time ago told you you can't or you'll never or you won't, listen to me. You are a child of God. You were created fearfully and wonderfully made in His image. You are perfect in Christ Jesus. You can do anything that He says you can do. Not only are you His child, you are important to Him and He has a purpose for your life. The problem for most Christians, and the reason we have a bad mind view, a, a bad focus, is because we think about ourselves way too much. I mean, let's just be honest. In today's culture, we've made ourselves the center of the universe. And we spend all our time thinking about ourselves. I mean, if you're on any, any social media, what's the number one thing that you see? It's selfies. What an ultimate extreme sign of narcissism. And if it's not selfies, it's the food we're about to eat. When did we start thinking that everybody we know needs to know that we had a hamburger and fries? We think about ourselves too much. And in thinking about ourselves too much, we bounce back and forth from, from being happy because somebody gave us 100 likes to being sad because nobody even looked at our picture.
We spend all our time balancing between listening to those who think we're the greatest people in the world, our greatest fans, you know, sports they call reading your own press. We, we, you know, your grandma, your parents, your co, you're the greatest in the world. So over here we're yay. And all of a sudden we hear from our worst critics. And we go from happy to sad and happy to sad and happy to sad. And we bounce back and forth and we never really identify who we are in Christ. only person we should be listening to that defines Who I am is what God thinks about us. Not what the people around you think. Not what the people that think you're the greatest and not what the people who think you're the worst. What does God say about you? Humility, real humility is not thinking less about yourself. Real humility is thinking about yourself less. And God is calling us to refocus. And for us to grow spiritually, we have got to have a proper view of ourselves. And the only way we can do that is to have the right mirror. And the only mirror that will give you a perfect view of what God thinks about you and who you are is this book, the Word of God. You see, when I start reading this, And it begins to transform my mindset, my worldview, my way of thinking. It begins to transform how I see myself. You see, what God says about me in this all of a sudden starts becoming louder than what my coworker thinks or what my neighbor thinks or what my enemy thinks. And all of a sudden, I begin to get confidence in who I am. It's not conceit. It's confidence. Because I'm not confident in me. I'm confident in Christ in me. And Paul ends the verse by saying what? According to the measure of faith God has given you. So what he's saying is you are not only defined by who you are in God, in Christ, you are defined by what you do with what he's given you. All of a sudden, I'm not defined by all those things that make me better or make me think I'm better, or all those things that I don't have that make me think I am who I am in Christ. But now, all those things that I have, my abilities, my talents, my gifts, all of those things that used to define me, I can now use for God's glory. And when I begin to use those things that I used to put my self-worth in, all of a sudden my identity changes because I'm giving of them and I'm serving and I'm using them so that he might be glorified. And guess what happens? That changes the way I see myself because it's not mine, it's God's. And everything I have and everything I am is because of God. When you begin to start seeing yourself through that lens, you start seeing everyone else differently. You can't be prejudiced. You can't be hate-filled. You can't be prideful. Because when you get a good look at yourself through Jesus' eyes, through who he says you are, you start seeing everyone else the same way. Instead of seeing their gifts, their talents, their abilities, what they look like, where they're from, and judging them accordingly, you start seeing them the same way you see yourself. It all starts with how you look in the mirror. And when you do that, you can't help but become humble. You can't help but become willing to serve. You can't help but wanting to give of yourself. But it all starts with what you see when you look in the mirror. Walked in this room this morning, there were two mirrors. One mirror was the mirror that God sees you as. The other mirror was the mirror of how you see yourself. And when you begin to allow those two images to merge, 
When you begin to read in this book about what God says about you and who you are in Jesus Christ, all of a sudden what the world thinks about me and what I used to think about me begins to grow dim. And all of a sudden those two images become one. And that becomes one mirror. And that mirror is what? Who I am in Christ and what I can do for Christ. When that begins to happen, transformation takes place. And we can't help but treat people around us differently. All of the stuff he's going to talk about in the rest of Romans 12 flows out of this. How we treat each other in church flows out of how we see ourselves. How we treat people out in the world flows out of how we see ourselves. See all this junk that's going on in our nation, this hatred, this racism, and everything else that's being amplified. You know what the problem is? The problem is we're not seeing ourselves the way God sees ourselves. And racism is evil. Prejudice of all kind and any kind is evil. But the problem is not just trying to change your thinking because you just can't change your thinking. The only thing that can change your thinking is to allow the Word of God to change it for you. And when you begin to see other people the way Jesus sees other people and you begin to see yourself the way Jesus sees you, it transforms everything. So the question this morning is which mirror are you using to define your self-worth? What mirror is going to be your guide on how you're going to live this week? Which mirror did you see your reflection in this morning? Listen to what James says in James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but do what it says. For anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law, God's word, and gives freedom and continues to look at that, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, seeing it, he will be blessed in all he does. See, the question for all of us is how do we see ourselves? What defines us? What defines you will always define how you see, love, and treat others. Let's pray.